Welcome home. So glad you're here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. And I look out there and I see you. It's like that Thanksgiving feeling, you know, when you have the big, and, and the whole family's there. And there's a feast. So that's what this is, a feast of God and his word. So, and you're all here, so that makes it sweet. All right. Um, this is week four of our Radical Freedom Series. So um, if you missed any of the first three weeks, uh, they're on our website. Click on sermons. You can catch up. It's a lot of fun. Uh, God's been doing great things. Glad you're here. Uh, John chapter 8 is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to John chapter 8. Let's get going. Any baseball fans here? Are you checking out the Rockies? Woo! They are just white hot. What is going on? That is crazy. Did they know they're the Rockies? I don't know. If you're a baseball fan of any kind, then you know what this symbol represents, don't you? Shout it out. Home plate. The bases are square, but home plate looks like a house of sorts, right? So this represents home, and we are going to put it there. And that's what it's going to represent for us this morning. Home. That is home. Now, the problem with home is the word right? I mean, we say home, what goes on in your mind, what goes on in your heart, is it the same thing goes on in the mind and the heart of the person next to you? Each one of us brings some beauty or baggage to that word, don't we? And a lot of it has to do with the home that we grew up in or the home that we're living in now, right? So at the beginning, if you've hung around here for any length of time, the beginning of every message, I say, welcome home. Because I want you to feel in this place accepted and loved and like you have belonging and and you're valued and celebrated and you are. But that word, that word's a little funky, right? I mean, I'm not asking you to come clean about what's going on, but let's, let's take a minute and go to that place. Just try to become like more of a, of a child. For Lee, this is going to be real easy. Just go back. I love you, man. Go back to being a kid. Where is home? Where is home? Is is home where you were born? Is home the house where you grew up? Is home the place where you spent the most time? Maybe home is wherever your family is, that's home. You're a military kid. You moved around a lot. Home was always shifting. Where's home? Well, for me, I, I was born in New York. I grew up in New Jersey and, and New York and, and Louisiana. But then we moved, I got married, we moved to Texas, and that's where I became a dad. That's where we bought our first house. Is that home? I don't know. Where's home? When you think of home, what do you think of? That place. And you may have mixed feelings about it. If home was, was a loving and beautiful place of, of blessing and, and safety and comfort, well, then you have good images of home. But home could just as well have been. And I'm not here to pick on your folks. I'm not here to pick on your family. It's just maybe home was abusive. Maybe home always made you feel unloved and not good enough. Maybe home was a very difficult place to be. So that image carries a big burden for you. 
When you became a certain age, maybe that's like 18 to 24, was it difficult for you to leave home? No, Tom, was it difficult for me at all? I'm 36 years old, still live in my parents' basement, play World of Warcraft for a living. Okay, we got, we got other issues for you. <laughs> was it hard for you to leave home? Maybe when you got to that point, it was real easy. You couldn't get far enough away fast enough. I don't know. What was it, what was it like? Some of you, if you're Western students, a lot of you are going home. For the summer, what does that fill you with? Joy, are you counting down the days or are you dreading it? Either way, maybe it's somewhere in between. Either way, home is supposed to be something. And and you know this, whether you came up in a home like this or not like this, home is supposed to be a place where you're overwhelmed by and embraced by love and comfort and belonging and acceptance and warmth and joy. That's what home is supposed to be. That's what home is supposed to be. And this morning, we are going to look at the fact that that is more than an image. That is an invitation because God invented that concept. And he is inviting us there. He is inviting us to that home in him. And it's really cool because we didn't just make this up. God's word, God in his word uses the word home or house often to describe us having a life that we only dream of. A life that we only dream of, but it doesn't have to be a dream. It, it, it's an invitation. He describes it. He uses it to describe the life of, of being covered by, embraced by, overwhelmed by, nonstop, his love, his acceptance, his joy, his safety, his comfort. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a nonstop life of making your home in the heart of God where you are enveloped by, overwhelmed by, overcome by his incredible love, his incredible acceptance of you, the comfort, the belonging, the safety, the joy? Is that what your life is like? If we're brave, brave enough to be honest, the best of us would say, not really, no. Maybe I get glimpses of that. Maybe I get, maybe I've never had a glimpse of that. God is calling us this morning, regardless of what we've brought here, to come home to come in and enter that. And that's where we're going. So John chapter eight, Jesus, little preview here so that you understand um, what's going on. Jesus is talking to some Jewish people. Okay, these Jewish people are pretty full of themselves, right? Because they say, we're children of Abraham. We are descendants of Abraham. We're the chosen people. You know, if you're God's, then we're yours, man, right? We got it going on. God is our homeboy. We're doing the right things. We're not doing the wrong things. We go to church a lot. We hang out. We're going on the right path. In fact, the world would be a far better place if everybody was a little bit more like us. Right? If there's a home, we're in it. And Jesus says to them, he says to them, I've come to set you free. What? 
I've come to bring you home. No way! We're already free. We're already home. Do you forget who you're talking to? They're stunned. This is where we come into the story. John chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in verse 33. They answered Jesus saying, We are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? They're saying, look, we're already home. We're already free. We don't need you. We don't need you. You obviously don't have the facts. Anyone? And then so Jesus says back to them, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly. He repeats himself, not because he stutters, but because he wants them to hear this. This is as true as true gets. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a what? Say it with me. Slave to sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, who's that cover? That covers all of them. And that covers all of us. Simon says, hands up. Okay, I'm not looking, but it's all of us. I know you're a lot more like me than you're different. We all fall. Jesus says, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. But, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. What's that mean? Well, I lived in New Orleans long enough to know that slavery might be abolished, but racial discrimination runs rampant in that city. It runs rampant in a lot of places, unfortunately. He says the slave does not remain in the house forever. We, three worked in a home as a governess, and they had a, a, a beautiful, godly woman by the name of Esther, um, just, just a saint. And that was her house to work in. But when all the work was done, she was booted out. That was not her house. And they wouldn't for a minute let her think it was. And she went home to the projects. And it was scary to take her home sometimes. That's what he's talking about. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If you remember that family, if you remember that family, that's your home. The son remains forever. So Jesus says, I'm the son. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son makes you a son, if the son makes you a daughter, that's your home. And you're never leaving. He's saying, come home, come home, but I got to make you a child. So where do we see ourselves in that? We are the slaves who are convinced we're already home. And he's saying, you're not already home, but you can be. I can, I will turn you from slaves into sons, change you from slaves into daughters. Well, how do you do that? You have to be born into that family to be a son. You have to be born into that house to be a son. But because of our first parents and their sin, and because we saluted that same flag, and we've been sinning our whole lives, we're outside the house. He's saying, no, no, no. You can be born into the house. You just be born again in me. And you become a son, and you become a daughter, and that's your home. You're home with me. And you never leave. And you're in my embrace and you're in my love, and you're in my acceptance. So how do we do that? What does that look like? What does that look like? 
What if returning home was easier than you ever dreamed? Because it had nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. It had everything to do with what Jesus did. What if, what if, if you've never been there, if you've never tasted the joy of being home, what if it was just a prayer away? It is. It is. That's the invitation to us. That's what you're here to hear. That's what God is saying. Now, whether you've been there before and wandered off or whether you've never been there, the invitation is the same. I'm blowing the doors off. I'm inviting you. Come through me. Come to me. Be home. Never leave. Once you experience me and and find your home in me, you'll never want to wander. Say, yeah, I want freedom. Following Jesus is a straitjacket. It's like, no, running from me is a straitjacket. I'm here to set you free at home. So here we go. Um, He's going to tell a story in Luke Chapter 15, I ask you to turn there, please. Well, I have the pause that refreshes. Okay, Luke 15. Jesus is the pause that refreshes. Let me just get that straight. Um, This is a very familiar story if you hung around the church at all. I'm going to ask you to do this. Enter into this with a fresh heart, with a fresh mind, and hear it as if for the first time so that the power of what Jesus is saying can cut through to your heart. And you will see this not as a story, but as an invitation to you, where you are right now, to me, to come home, no matter what. So Jesus starts his story. Luke 15, verse 11. Here we go. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, isn't it always the younger one? That's the rebellious one, isn't it? Right. I know. I'm I'm, I'm not the oldest. I know this. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. When would it come to him? When the father flatlines, when he dies. He's saying, Dad, let's pretend you're dead. Okay? You give me my inheritance and get, look at what the father did. And the father divided his property between them. Why? Because the father loved the son so much that he was willing to set him free to run away from home and to pretend like he was dead. I love you so much that if your greatest desire is to be away from me, okay, okay, we'll pretend I'm dead. Let's see how it worked out for the son. Verse 13. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, later in the story, in the part we're not going to get to, it talks about partying and, and drugs and stuff like that and prostitution and whatever, whatever, everything you could think of. Doesn't that picture, I mean, whether you're into that stuff or not, doesn't that kind of picture all of our sin? That's kind of the definition of sin, right? We want everything that God's got. We want the breath in our lungs. We want the sun on the, in the sky. We want the mountains. We want his creation. We want the rivers to play in. I want all your stuff. I want money. I want food. I want family. I got friends. All the stuff you invented to point me to you. I want that. I just don't want you. I want your stuff 
and he, hey, God, let's pretend you're dead. You give me your stuff. I'm going to go try to find life and freedom and joy apart from you. That's the definition of sin. And that's what he did. Let's see how it worked out. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. This is the worst job. This is, the, this is worse than do you want fries with them? This is worse. And he was longing to be fed with the pods, with the slop that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Okay, he crashes, he burns, everything is going bad. When this happens, what do we do? We blame God, right? Don't we? And we love doing that, right? Yeah, I ran away from you. Yeah, I took your stuff and pretended you were dead. But things have really gone south for me. If you loved me, you wouldn't let me let that happen. Wrong. It's God's mercy that this happened. I have a friend right now. Some of you know him. He has been home. He has been here. He has tasted the goodness and the greatness and the love and the acceptance. He's wandered off. Has no intention of coming home. He won't come home until it gets so painful that he feels he has no choice. And God, in his mercy, will let it happen. Why? Because it's so much more important that he come home than it is that his life turn out the way he wants it to. Because apart from being home, he has no life. Are you tracking with me? But then the son came to himself. That's the moment. That's repentance. It breaks through. I thought I had it dialed in, but now I see clearly God has spoken to me. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. It's, I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to change direction. I'm running home. I'm running home. It is better to be a servant at home than to be a free person far from home. He knows that. He goes, I will say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I'm willing to be a slave to you. That's so much better than what I called freedom out there. And so it says it again. You can underline this. And he arose and came. Again, he stood up changed direction and came home. That's what the Bible calls repentance. When we change our minds, when we change our direction, when we stop drifting, when we stop walking, and we turn and we run home. That's what we're talking about here. Now, for all of us who have this dialed in, because we heard this in Sunday school, this is about rededication. This is the believer who grew up, who, who's been home, who left. And it's coming back. This is also about salvation. The person who's never come home. But it, 
But God breaks through and he says, come home. You're welcome. Come home. So let's see how the father responds. But while he was still a long way off, the sun was a dot on the horizon, right? What happens? His father saw him. Why? Because the father was out on the porch looking, longing, praying, desiring for this very moment. He doesn't want to wait for the son to make it home. So what does he do? The father saw him and felt compassion and ran. Very undignified. He have to. He was a. He was a man. A man's man. He hiked up his garments and he took off. And the servants go. I don't know. What's he doing? I don't know. Let's run. We got to take care of him. He's running out there. Why? To beat him? To condemn him? No. His father ran and embraced him and hugged him and kissed him. He didn't condemn him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father cuts him off, doesn't even let him finish the rehearsed speech. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. This would be the father's robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. We're throwing the biggest party this neighborhood has ever seen. For my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He was away from home and he's turned to come home. This is it. This is the moment I've waited for. This is what I've longed for. This is exactly the invitation that is extended to you, that is extended to me. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've stayed there. It doesn't matter how how many times you've gone. It doesn't matter what your record is. It doesn't matter how embarrassed and shameful you are. He's saying, my love for you trumps all. Come home, come home, come home. There's not a stick waiting to beat you. I'm waiting to hold you and love you and kiss you and embrace you and deck you out and throw a party over you. And so many people don't. Don't. And some of you won't. There's a question that determines right now whether you will come home or not. Here's it, here it is. How well do you know God? If you know God well through the person of Jesus Christ, you'll come home running. If you don't, you'll run away. What, what, do, you, what do you mean by that, Tom? Well, to, to illustrate that, I need my friend Kelly. Kelly, if you would come up, <clears throat> introduce you. For those of you who don't know him, to Kelly Medina. Welcome in. <laughs> Kelly, if you... Kelly's going to stand home. Like some of you are going, man, that's a big dude. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Put your hat on if you don't mind. I know, I know, yeah. His mama would say, never wear your hat in church. But if it's for a sermon illustration, God goes, yeah, yeah, that's good. Go. You're fine. <laughs> Now, as you can see by his hat, and some of you may know Kelly, Kelly works for the sheriff's office, right? He is the picture of law enforcement. Would you agree? Right. Kelly is a big, strong man. And if that wasn't enough, those of you who are seated over here know that Kelly is also packing heat right now, right here. You've been reading a lot about the gun control debate. I'm going to tell you about gun control. 
Kelly got the gun. Kelly's in control. All right? I just simplified it for you. Now, I know Kelly in two contexts. If what you know of Kelly, if what I know of Kelly is only that he is law enforcement, and if I believe that because he is, what he most wants to do, what he's here for, is to find me doing something that is wrong and bust me for it, right? If that's what I think, and I have done something that is bust-worthy, which all of us have, amen? Law or not, here or here or here, right? We're all, Simon says, we're all up there. If I believe all he wants to do is to bust me, and I have done something worthy of being busted, then when I fall, when I sin, when I stumble, which I inevitably will do, am I going to run to Kelly or am I going to run away from Kelly? That was a little hint. What will I do? I'm going to hightail it as far from Kelly as I possibly can. That's not rocket science. That's just smart. Right? No, this is not a trick question. We would not have police chases if people didn't understand this. Would you take your hat off, please? Make your mama happy. I don't only know Kelly as a member of the sheriff's department. I know Kelly as a man. I know Kelly as my friend. I love Kelly. And Kelly loves me. He hugs me a lot. No, I show you. You don't know what it feels like to be hugged by Kelly. I say this in a very manly way. That's love. Why? Because this man, he has a love. He has a compassion. He has. He has a. He has a mercy, that's bigger than he is. It's as big as the outdoors. And because I know Kelly, I know Kelly wants the best for me. He wants to protect me. He wants to even protect me from myself. So I say again, because I know Kelly, when I fall, when I stumble, do I run away from Kelly or do I run to Kelly? I run to Kelly. That's, thank you. Thank Kelly, because, you know. Go ahead. You, you, wait, wait. I want to give you, I want to give you, I want to give you. James, I have witnesses here, okay? If you mess up in Denver, I will find you. Okay? <laughs> I told you the full song, and you did. And you got what you wanted. So take advantage of it. You keep it. You give up. Did you see what he said? He was fighting back tears when he said it. Because his heart is for that man. His heart is for that man. If you know God through the person of Jesus Christ, then you know how crazy he wants 
to love you and bless you. And you will run to God, not away from God when you fall. And you will. And you can nod your head all you want. And you can say, amen. And you can just look like this isn't affecting you. But it does because most of you won't. Most of you won't. Hundreds. I've only been a pastor six years. Hundreds of people have come to me and said, I'm messing up. My life is falling apart. I'm away. And I know this. Why? Because I haven't seen him in weeks or months or years. Now, I'm not trying to say that being here every Sunday is the litmus test of spirituality. What I am saying is the vast majority of us, when we fall, will avoid God. And this is part of it. We'll hang with people who don't convict us of that. We'll hang with people who don't remind us that that's what we're doing. We'll stop coming. We'll stop praying. If you know what waits you when you run home, you wouldn't waste any more time. There's not a stick waiting to beat you and punish you. This is not the... And I'll say, why, why have you come to be encouraged, to be prayed over, to be walked with? Well, I didn't feel good enough. Who is? If you're not a train wreck, you're lying to yourself. If we weren't all broken, Jesus would not have had to come. There is no judgment in him. There's welcome. You come home. You come home. I will move in. I'm going to redecorate your life. I'm going to, re, I'm going to retransplant your heart. I'm going to create in you a new mind. And I've given you brothers and sisters to do it with. Don't you run away. You run to me. You run home. Don't run away. So it it raises a question. It raises a question. How? How on earth can the father, in the story that Jesus told, how can that be fair? The son takes everything and goes out to do everything. And he comes back and he is, the father runs, right? He embraces, hugs him, kisses him, decks him out, throws the biggest party anybody's ever seen. There is no punishment for the fact that he wasted and squandered his money. There is no punishment that he broke the father's heart. There's no punishment that he rejected his love. There's no punishment that he trashed the family name. Nothing. How can that be? That wouldn't fly in my house. The reason is that the rebellious son had a brother. The rebellious son's brother's name was Jesus. Not, not just the other brother in the later part of the story. He had a brother named Jesus who never left home, who never sinned, who said, I will become your rebellion. I will become your running away. I will become your sin. And I will be punished for it in your place on the cross as your substitute. I'll absorb all the punishment you deserve. Why? Because I love you. And I want you to know that no matter where you've gone, 
no matter how far you've been away, you can now come home because of me and not fear that there's going to be condemnation or punishment. There is embracing, there is kissing, there is hugging, there is celebration. If you really believe that, nothing would keep you from making a home run. Nothing could ever. Some of you are thinking, um, I'm like the people in John 8. I think I'm already dead. You know, my, I grew up in the church. My uncle was a pastor. Jesus isn't talking to your uncle today. Jesus isn't asking where you grew up. Home is where the heart is. Where is your heart? Is it home? Would you define your life as continually dwelling in the nonstop embrace and overwhelming love and acceptance and beauty and safety and rest of God? Or you hear sometimes and you hear, I have a number of houses, right? I have this on Sunday mornings and I have this. This is my social house and, and my work house and my home house. And, and that's different, right? And I'm home with God here, but I'm, maybe I've never been home. Or maybe I've been home and then I'm trying to find something else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's calling us all, come home, come home. It doesn't matter. If we were already home, God would not have sent an Amber Alert out for you. And he did. And you're here, hearing his word, hearing his invitation, because he wants you home. God wants it so much. I want it. You have to want it so much for you. Our kids, um, our kids don't live at home anymore. That was really hard. Sheree and I have two children, a son and a daughter. I talk about them a lot because I think about them a lot. Our son, Tommy, who's going to get married in July, he lives outside of Chicago. I can't run there. Quincy, our daughter, uh, is a junior in college. She lives outside of Los Angeles. I can't run there. They're away from my home. But a few days a year, a few days a year, they both come home. They are both under my roof. And I cannot, I couldn't have anticipated what this is like before it happened. But when my babies are home, I wait until everybody is asleep and I stand in a dark kitchen and I dance. I am so overwhelmed with joy that I could burst. I dance in the dark kitchen because my kids are home. If a sinful man knows that, then I know this, that you have the opportunity this morning to make God dance by coming home. Some of you still don't think you can because Thomas Wolfe is a, is a famous novelist. He wrote a, he wrote a book whose title 
has morphed into a saying that many people know now. And here it is. You can't go home again. Many of you may have heard that before. You can't go home again. God is here to tell you. I am here to tell you that that is a lie. But you may believe it because you grew up in a home where there is something that you could do where you would not be welcome back home. I can't go home. I can't go home. I'm pregnant. I can't go home. I'm gay. I can't go home. I'm strung out on drugs. I can't go home. I broke the law. I can't go home. I dropped out of school. I don't know what it is for you. Do you know what God says? Come home. Come home. Let me have it all. Trust me. Trust me to forgive whatever needs to be forgiven. Trust me to restore whatever needs to be restored. Just come home to my love. The old hymn says, come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. Let's pray. Lord, if we ever really knew you, if we ever really understood the depth of your love, the incredible mercies that you have, the grace that you are ready to pour out, the deep affection that you have for us, regardless of how we've lived, where we've gone, what we've put ourselves through, the way we've broken your heart. That all you want is for us to be home in your love. If we ever really knew that, we'd come home running. But Lord, the only way we can know that is if your Holy Spirit will open our eyes, will open our hearts, will help us see that we've tried to find freedom and we found slavery. And you're ready to set us free and provide the home that we've been looking for. We're homesick and you're the only healer. Lord, call us home. Make us bold enough to come home. Lord, let us repent, change direction, give you all our sin and just come into your arms. Lord, whether we've never been home or it's just been a real long time, Lord, some of us have fooled ourselves by hanging out on the edge of the property. You're calling us into your heart of hearts. That's still not home. But once we're home, we'll realize there's no place we'd rather be. That's where we belong. Give us boldness. Give us courage to come, to come running because of what Jesus has done. Amen.